Welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica, and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend, but on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, thinkers, and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love our neighbors, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll join us because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Hey friends, you're listening to episode three of the Good Question Podcast with Jessica Tandera. Thanks for being here. My guests today are Captain Jamel and Allie Jones, an Army family currently stationed at Fort Benning, Georgia. I invited Jamel and Allie on the show to talk about their experiences with military life and specifically their family's mission to approach every aspect of their lives and career as a calling from God. We heard from Allie's dad, Frank Jordan, on episode one, and he talked about the keys to staying on the track of excellence. If you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen. I can tell you from personal experience, the Jones family embodies excellence, and I am so thankful to call them friends and for their willingness to share their story and their vision with you today. So let's get to it. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with Captain Jamel and Allie Jones. Okay, Jamel and Allie Jones, welcome. I'm so excited to have you. Yeah, we're excited to be here. Glad to be here. We are going to be talking about a topic that I have been calling unconventional ministry. I don't really have a better phrase for describing it. And maybe as we get going in here, we'll come up with a better way to describe what we're talking about. But I am excited to talk to you guys because you are people that I know and have seen embody this idea of living your whole lives as ministry, even if it doesn't fit into what we would typically picture as a pulpit ministry or a full-time ministry in the church. And so I'm just really excited to talk to you about your experience and your perspective on this. A little background for our listeners. I've known you guys for several years, Allie, for about 15 years, Jamel, maybe about seven or eight years. We've been friends for a long time and have worked together in, Allie and I did a mom's group together. Dave and I have been blessed by your friendship and just by having you guys in our lives. So we're just going to jump in. I want you guys to tell us a little bit about yourselves, your background, and how you guys met. Okay, I'll go first. And first, I have to say, Jessica, thanks for letting us come on. Absolutely. We're excited to be here with you, and it is an honor, and we are fans of your family. (laughs) So I was born and raised in central Arkansas to parents who were actually transplant transplants to um, from Louisiana via the Air Force. So I say that I am Arkansas born, but proud Louisiana blood definitely runs through my veins. And I am one of three daughters. I am the one in the middle. And Jamel and I met at college. I saw him eating breakfast one day and uh, I had to have him. And so <laughs> my me to him eventually and then I joined the law society and the debate team and went to visit a law school because that's what he was doing ah. <laughs> here we are today we've been married for eight years which is crazy and we have a seven-year-old dog cruise a three-year-old daughter named Madeline and an 11-month-old son named Langston and Langston is the one that doesn't sleep yeah. Yes, we uh, we have that in common. The Lord blessed us with each of our families with a second child that doesn't sleep. So, yeah, I feel your pain. <laughs> well, so Allie so eloquently introduced herself. Mm-hmm. I'm Jamel Jones. I was born and raised in Benton, Arkansas, which is about 35 minutes south of where Allie is from in North Little Rock area. I was born in a single parent household, my mom, and I have three brothers. So my mom has four boys. I'm an identical twin, and we are right in the middle. Went to, so I'm a sports guy, played sports my whole life. Went to Arkansas Tech University, played basketball for a short time there, where I met Allie. And 
while at Tech, um, studied history and political science. I enlisted in the Army into the Arkansas National Guard while I was at Arkansas Tech, and then also joined the ROTC, the Reserve Officer Training Corps, while I was there, and enjoyed meeting, getting to know, hanging out with, and talking to Allie. So <laughs> it was a really, really cool experience, and still is. And here we are, eight years later. There you go. together. Now, Allie, you grew up in an apostolic home and Jamil, you did not. So can you guys talk about that a little bit and about how, if I remember correctly, Jamil, you found Allie and Jesus at about the same time. (laughs) (laughs) You better believe it. (laughs) I guess I'll go first and then Jamil can maybe get into a little bit of that story. So Yeah, I was born to parents who just really love Jesus. And so being in church and active with church was just really second nature to me. I didn't know anything different, but our need of Jesus was just always a topic of conversation in our home. And when I was six years old, I was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And It was on a Saturday in January, and my family was having a prayer meeting at at the church. It was just my family, and in the center left section, second or third pew maybe, and if I remember correctly, it was right before my birthday party. Hmm. I was born again of the Spirit, and it was definitely the best birthday gift I could have received. And then I was baptized in Jesus' name a few months later, and, you know, even though I was so young, like, I will never forget coming out of the water and what that felt like. I Mm. felt light. I told my friend I felt light like a feather (laughs) and I was joyful. But other than really wanting to be a singer growing up, I cannot remember really anything like significant that I just felt like I had to do. I loved people. I wanted to love people and take care of people. And then I just wanted to make Jesus really happy with whatever I was doing with my life. And and here I am. I hope I'm making him. <laughs> that, that sounds like a good goal. I think, that's yeah. a, I think that's a great goal to have. <laughs> Allie is absolutely a part of my salvation experience. I like to say that when I, when I found Allie, I got my wife, I got my life, and I found my identity. <laughs> I didn't grow up in what I would consider a Christian household. Now, we we would say that we were Christians, but we didn't, no one in my family had a relationship with God or anything like that. We were absolutely, you know, your air quotations, Christians who just acknowledged God when we absolutely needed something. So it was Mm. time during tragedies or, or your holidays and, or, you know, we didn't have a whole lot growing up. So it was usually financial crisis where we needed God to make a way, but Mm. otherwise really my, you know, during my upbringing, I've always had a passion for people. Uh, which is one of the reasons why I think I was wanting to pursue being a lawyer, to be able to speak for those who couldn't speak for themselves. But I wanted to be a a light, a help, a resource, you know, anything I could be to people. And I felt like I loved God. I just didn't really feel like I knew how or what that Mm -hmm. meant. Mm -hmm. And, And really, you know, my upbringing up to that point and the influences in my life, I you know, my life didn't line up to being a Christian, being a church goer or anything like that. And that was the influences in my house, the neighborhood that I lived in, just things like that. So, but yeah, in college, met Allie and we started talking and just as friends, I think I was at a pretty like crossroads point in my life where I was kind of struggling with who I was. Well, it was really in a sense of, am I making the right decisions? Am I going in the right direction? Things like that. And Allie and I became friends. She was very influential in my life, sending me scriptures and praying for me and things like that. And we started to like each other. And before she and I could be an item, she let me know that I needed <laughs> to be born again spirit. And anyway, so we, we met on a Saturday, I think, at her apartment. I think it was at your apartment. I think it was. And we just kind of talked about that experience and the fact that we liked each other and all of that. And I actually, it was a Friday, I mean, it was Saturday, but we went, I went to church Sunday night for the first time in my life being in an apostolic church. And I went to the altar to be prayed for, and I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that was a very awesome experience. Was baptized there shortly after. And here we are still loving each other and loving God. That is such a cool story. 
I love that so much. So now you both mentioned the possibility of law school, but unless I missed something, you guys didn't go to law school. So (laughs) how did um, you get from that point of college students dating, Jamel, you're new in a relationship with the Lord. How did you get to that point from that point to where you are now career-wise? Well, yeah. So in the midst of all of that, I, I, I did a couple of, um, I guess you could consider them externships. I traveled with a civil rights attorney that was down in Benton, Arkansas, my hometown, a couple of times to a few trials that he that he would do across the state. It was a very interesting experience. Mm-hmm. But I realized, and it may have been, it could have been God, but it was a lot of it was him. He kind of took the taste out of my mouth for, for long. I just saw the bad side of like what a lawyer was based on that guy's approach mm-hmm. and how it didn't really... It, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It was more of a, it was more about money than it was about impacting the people. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, so I, I was able to see good and bad with law. I was able to do a, a an internship with the attorney for higher education at Arkansas Tech, who happened to be, you know, one of me and Ali's favorite instructors there, a class that we both had together where we decided that, you know, I was going to sit by her and flirt with her the whole time. But a- anyway, <laughs> I was working with him or for him. And and that was a really good experience. But I think, you know, I also had this itch I couldn't scratch about serving my country. So that was really something in the back of my mind that I'd always thought I wanted to do. And college was that time that I was able to navigate that, that curiosity. Yeah. And I had a similar experience during a summer of, in college, I had to do an internship and I did it with CASA, Court Appointed Special Advocates for Children. And Mm -hmm. That summer, I was in the courtroom all day long, like every day almost, it seemed like. And I knew that I did not want to do like business or corporate law. I would want to definitely do family law. And doing that, I just saw so many sad things that children went through and families went through. And I was just like, I can't do this. I don't have the heart for it or or my heart is too big to do this. And so Mm -hmm. I decided that I probably needed to take a different route and then also, you know, Jamel was in my life and <laughs> down to it, I probably wouldn't have chosen to go to law school at that time if it meant I couldn't marry him right after college, which was in my plans. <laughs> I also did think that he was going to still possibly do a lot in the, for the army. So yeah, I think it was just something that that we were both interested in because of our love for people and wanting to do good. And it just wasn't the avenues that we were supposed to take, at least not at that time. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. Like, like you guys have said, you can have a heart for something and you get into it and realize like, maybe this isn't what I thought, or maybe it's just not the right path. And so God just kind of directs you a different way and, and leads you into doing something that still fulfills that desire that he puts in your heart to help other people but without going down the path that you thought you were going to go down. Right. So you you guys graduated, you got married, and Jamel, you've been in the military now, active duty for quite a while. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that and where that's taking you, some of the things that you've gotten to see and do along the way? Yeah, for sure. I commissioned in 2011, the, the same day I graduated from college, uh, I commissioned into the active duty infantry so I became an infantry officer in the army, and it's been a blast. We, you know, my my first duty station really was my officer basic training, basic course uh, at Fort Benning, Georgia, where we, you know, we call it the Benning School for Boys. <laughs> but it was, you know, you're gonna go there, you're gonna do your infantry officer basic course, and then you know, you're gonna do ranger school and airborne school and all of the schools to get you certified as a leader to lead an infantry formation. So Allie and I were married in 2012. Our first duty station was to Fort Campbell, uh, Kentucky. Uh, we served in 1st Battalion, 506th Infantry Regiment. So the Currahees. Stands alone. Stands alone. <laughs> so very awesome uh, storied uh, infantry regiment. If anyone has seen the movie, The Band of Brothers, that is the unit that we served in. So it was pretty awesome to be there. During that time, that unit had a pretty kinetic deployment to Afghanistan in 2013. Uh, so I was a platoon leader there in a remote outpost in eastern Afghanistan. Uh, the experiences there kind of shaped my a little bit of my leadership style and personality and kind of how I pursued life, too, after that. Uh, pretty impactful. But after we left that unit, 
we went to the Maneuver Captain's Career Course at Fort Benning, Georgia. And that's your school to basically certify you to become a company commander, which we'll get into here in a little bit. We were there for just a little while, and then we left to go to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, where we served in the 82nd Airborne Division. And I commanded an Airborne Infantry Company in 1st Battalion, 505th Parachute Infantry Regiment, 3rd Brigade, 82nd, H-. minus. <laughs> Giving all those folks a shout out. <laughs> and really, as we navigate forward in this in our conversation, that company command time is where we'll probably spend a lot of our, our time talking about yeah. our ability to impact families and such. But after we left, uh, so I deployed as a company commander there and back to a remote location in Afghanistan. And then um, went on to be a general's aide-de-camp at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, uh, to one of the most impactful, one of the most amazing people and general officers, military leaders that I've ever met. So that was a an awesome experience and was there for a short time at Fort Leavenworth. And we are currently back at Fort Benning, Georgia, where I am serving in the 75th Ranger Regiment. It's a disparate a dynamic special operations organization that has global impacts. So we're here having a good time and enjoying it. I personally have seen the the third world countries <laughs> that you deploy to and even some of the places that you kind of transition through to, to get there. And then we've seen a good part of the United States being able to travel, you know, as a family changing stations from here to there. So it's been a really good time. I want to back up and hit some of the vocabulary that you've used because the listeners might not know this about me yet, but I, my husband, Dave was in the Marines and also in the army. And so I am a little bit familiar with some of the language that you're using, but our listeners might not entirely be. So when you say the infantry, you're talking about guys on the ground. Mm -hmm. So this is not like my husband was a helicopter pilot. So it's a, it's a different experience in the infantry from my understanding. And then when you say a kinetic deployment, you're talking about a, a situation that was at times quite dangerous. Am I right about those definitions? Absolutely. Yes, correct. All right. And I don't want to make you talk about anything that you don't want to talk about, but I do want to hit on some things that I think people wonder about. And that's kind of what this show is going to be about is talking about some of the things that maybe get whispered about in private conversations, but never discussed more out in the open. So when you were approaching going into the infantry and thinking about that as a Christian, was there anything about that that gave you pause? Did you have any trouble reconciling any of the things that you might be asked to do in the military with your relationship with God? And if you did, how did you resolve that struggle? That's a, a really, really good question. The infantry is the part of the army that is the primary maneuver force. So the ground fighting force of the military is the infantry. Those are the people who are planning the fight and going to the fight. And it's often up close and personal. And then when I say, yeah, you're right, kinetic, you know, it's it's a dangerous deployment. Uh, there's a lot going on uh, that is very different. And it's it, it goes against your natural fight or flight, you know, psychological dispositions. But it's really you moving to into dangerous situations and, you know, doing your, your mission. So, yeah, I appreciate you wanting to clarify. But to get to your second question, um, you know, one of the things that I feel like I, I realized approaching the infantry, I didn't, early on, I didn't really think about how it would affect me as a, as a Christian. I didn't really think deeply into it until I was in the infantry and doing the mission as an infantry officer. Uh, but I realized something that probably some people wouldn't have, or uh, I've talked to people before who hadn't thought about it. I realized that I, I found and understood that I needed God more by doing the infantry mission set. Mm. And it and it's because of the mission, right? So you're you're often in dangerous situations and things like that. And so, like I said earlier, the infantry can be up close and personal. And for me personally, I've never seen a greater need for God than living the infantry life. And that's because you are in positions sometimes where it could be dangerous, and you know that could be the end of your life. Mm -hmm. I did also realize, you know, on deployments and such that your flesh is fragile and you're here today and gone tomorrow, whether that's in a kinetic deployment uh, in the military or that's driving down the road and, you know, unfortunately mm -hmm. you get in an accident. I, I did realize that. And so it was, I understood a need to be in relationship with God mm -hmm. because flesh is fragile. So reconciling that was, that was my understanding of 
of the need for God. And then the other thing that I did was just going through the Old Testament, reading about warriors like Joshua and Caleb and the armies that God, I mean, God had an infantry. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he gave task and purpose to some of these guys to do a mission, a military mission in, in the Bible. And so it was really cool seeing that and being motivated by some of the Old Testament scriptures with some of those leaders. But yeah, it's a very good question. Okay. So Allie, for you, you're the military spouse, and I have a little bit of experience with this as well. But for you, I think the assumption is that the deployments would be the most difficult part of being a military spouse. But have you found that to be true? And if not, what would you say has been the most difficult part for you? Huh? Well, deployments are very hard. They're very challenging. The first one, I honestly felt like I was a little naive. Um, I, we had only been married about seven months. Yeah. And the longer into the deployment it got, the more real it did become. But that one, I, I felt like I made it through pretty okay. For the most part, there are a couple instances when we lost some soldiers and I couldn't talk to Jamel for a few days. And that was pretty, pretty scary. And every now and then I'd get really nervous if there was a, a knock at the door that I didn't, you know, that I wasn't aware if somebody was coming or that would scare me. Or um, we lost someone whose name was actually pretty close to Jamel's. His name was Jamal and he was also from Arkansas. And that terrified me because I just thought, what if they got the wrong person? Is they were in the same uh, location. And so that was, that was scary. But I feel like if I had to say the hardest thing about being a military spouse, probably I'm living it right now. And that's just as a mom with new babies, because we're adults and we've made this decision for ourselves, you know, Jamel to be in the army and me to marry him and support him. But our kids, they don't get a choice in the matter. Having them and being away from family is really tough. So having them and having them move away from their friends that they've gotten accustomed to, like Madeline is three. So she's just starting to remember friends. Mm. And when we did our recent move from Kansas to Georgia, she started missing her friends and asking like, can we go back to our Kansas house? Can we go back to our Kansas church? So that's hard. And then missing family and them not being here for a memorable things that we do and watching the kids grow up, that's tough. And then just kind of worrying about them and how they will do as we continue to move. That's challenging. But overall, it's been, it's been good. I don't want to make it sound negative. It's it's caused a lot of security for me too, but there are hard, there are hard moments for sure. I want to move now into talking about what we have kind of referenced already, which is, I know from talking to you guys, the, um, we were able to be stationed in the same location at Fort Bragg for a few years, which was just, I don't know. It was just such a gift to me. Um, when you guys got stationed there right after we did to just be close to friends and just have that little moment, like Ali said, when you're moving all around and not close to your family some familiar faces and and some good friends to be close by is always just an added bonus. But from spending time with you guys there and watching the way you handled Jamel, like you said, that company command, I know that you guys approach your role as leaders in the military as a Christian ministry. And I think that's, I think it's unique, first of all, and I think it's really, really cool. And so I'd like to hear you guys talk a little bit about the mindset that you approach that with and how you go about leading in a military setting with a ministry mindset. Okay. So Jamel as an officer, as in specifically infantry officer, we knew there would come a point in time where he would likely and hopefully take command of a company. And as a company commander, there are about 130 soldiers that he would be responsible for, plus their families. And We just decided to look at his career as not a career, but as a calling and not just a calling for him, but a calling for our family. And that's how we've continued to approach it. As long as we're in this, you know, we are in this together. And this is not just where we've decided to be, but where God has placed us. And specifically that 
certain company that we were going to be placed in, that would be the company that we needed to be in at that at that certain time. And so, yeah, we just view it as a calling. What kind of methods do you use What when you're approaching specifically like that company command as a calling? What does that mean practically? How do you approach that in the day-to-day? Yeah, Jessica, I just wanted to add a little bit to what Allie was saying about you just, the, I guess, our, our approach as a family, a company is an organization of people, about 130 people, that you are in charge of training, uh, equipping, and and resourcing really the the re- overall readiness of the organization. I mean, it's literally everything. And so tied to that is also their families, and their families are really directly impacted by a lot of the things that we are doing in the Army. And so they need to know, they need to be integrated into it, and they need to also flow with whatever systems uh, that that you are creating in that climate and culture of your organization. Just the the other piece too is you know our approach was really we wanted to impact people. So you've heard Ali and I talk about individually growing up and things that we wanted to truly love people and impact people. Ali talked about our calling. We set two goals when we went into company command, and you know the first was leave it better than what you found it. And obviously the, that's very simply stated, but very hard uh, in execution. And then the second one was create an environment for people and their families to thrive. And that's how we saw, you know, in a very simple way with words, how we could really impact the overall organization. So I'll pass to Allie now to talk about unconventional methods. So one way where I guess maybe we could use the unconventional term was um, that we were going to do company command together. Yeah it wasn't just his job, it was going to be for both of us. And one of the ways we were able to do this was through, so you have the company commander, but then the company commander has someone called an SFRG leader, which is a soldier family readiness group leader for their soldier family readiness group. And within that group, you have obviously the soldiers, but then all of the family members or whoever that soldier would choose as their next of kin or someone who was going to be identified as their contact person if something were to happen to them or just, you know, someone to reach out to for any news on behalf of them. And so those are the people that make up that that SFRG. And so you need a leader for that. And it's a volunteer position. And so that's where I stepped up and I was like, okay, I can do this. And oftentimes if the company commander is married, it's Oftentimes it's their spouse, but really the only role of the FRG and the, that leader is to just disseminate information about trainings um, that are going to be taking place within the unit, um, information that's going to be uh, things that are going on, the installation and deployment information, just anything that the commander thinks families need to know about or that, you know, is information pushed down from the brigade and the battalion. And it can be like very bare bones. You just need emails and phone numbers so you can get in contact with people and that's it. But we looked at that as a place where we could really touch people. And we wanted our company to be like a family. We wanted our families to feel like they could walk in the unit at any time and see their soldiers. And um, we were presented with a really good opportunity to do that. (laughs) Because the company that Jamel took command of had been in a period where they experienced a lot of toxicity and morale was really low. There were like so many discipline issues <laughs> and it was actually considered one of the worst companies out of 39 in the brigade. So like we were like bottom of the barrel. And so we just looked at it. We were like, okay, this is what we have. And well, these people, they need a lot of love. And these soldiers need a lot of encouragement. And so we're going to take it on. And so the FRG was just. It was not uh, existent. It, yeah, there wasn't one. And so we, yeah, we had to build that up. But it was the perfect place to yeah. insert ourselves and just start loving on people. Yes. <laughs> we laughed. My first two days, you know, we took command on April 9th of 2018. And April 9th and April 10th, I had four serious incidents. Uh, reports that happen and essentially that's just <laughs> so four and two days so and really when those things happen it's like the middle of the night you know people are out drinking or whatever the case is you know so it was it was very exhausting those first two days uh, I'll never forget Ali's face when 
we had one happen. It was like nine o'clock at night. I was like, hey, I'm, I got to go into work. And, uh, you know, I, I'll finish up with that, get a guy out of, you know, the military police station and do all the reports and everything I need to do as a commander. I'll get back home. And then at, at one o'clock in the morning, I was like, hey, I got to leave again. Oh, <laughs> and my she goodness. Was like, and so, I mean, I, yeah, it was, it was very. <laughs> Welcome to company command. <laughs> exactly. Like we didn't, we didn't even get settled yet. I mean, we still, the food is from the reception is still in the kitchen. The company was hurting. It really was. But I, but we identified early that what was missing was a, was that culture, that climate for people and families. And so we talked about that, you know, prior to uh, assuming the role as a commander uh, and FRG leader. And so we knew where we would find our niche and that was truly touching people which was our heartbeat so you know it was pretty ordained by god that that opportunity was presented to us i love the way you guys approached this because there is a world where you could look at this and be like we just got thrown the worst company and i happen to know because we were close together at the time you had a new baby yeah and i can i can see a world where you could say you know what this is not the time for this or for Allie to be like, you know what? Yeah, I'll take this on, but I'm going to do bare bones email list and I'll get out what needs to get out, but I'm not going to put any more effort into this than that because it's just too big of a problem. But instead you guys walked in there and said, no, I'm going to take ownership of this. Nobody is dictating what you do and don't have to do in this kind of situation, it was entirely on your shoulders to decide how you wanted to approach it. And you said, no, I'm going to take ownership. And I'm going to look at this as an opportunity and a God-given opportunity because there are people here who to feel the love of God and they're going to feel that through us. I've always been impressed by the way you guys handled that. But just hearing you talk about it right now, I was just, I was just really struck with that word ownership. You just walked in there and said, no one's making us do this. This is the way we're deciding to handle this opportunity. Oh, yeah. And I just, I'm going to tie a scripture in here. Mm. Just think about what we the opportunity that we saw, we've talked about this a lot in our family, and we truly do believe in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, when the Bible says, whatever your hands find to do, do it all your might. So we weren't going to go in and just be like, okay, here's this thing that we, we're doing, and you know, we, we kind of love people, but we're, we're just going to haphazardly get after this. Like, no, this, this is an opportunity for us to show God off and who we were and who God was in us. And, and you talk about unconventional methods, right? We started off the company command, the, the assumption of command ceremony by acknowledging our pastor and pastor's wife. That was very unconventional because it's not normal that you, one, you have church leaders in military settings like that. Mm -hmm. But it really was a, a glimpse of who Team Jones was and what we valued. And that was spiritual leadership in our life. And, and then that message was going to be carried out throughout command and throughout our our goals in command of how we were going to define success as a family and as a collective team. So how did it go? What, how did you see results from these unconventional methods, specifically in that unit, but also just in, in general in the rest of your service as well? If you have any kind of examples of how you've seen God move and work, I'd love to hear you share those. Oh, wow. It went it went awesomely. Like, I don't even know if that's a word, but. <laughs> very, very awesome. Um, but company command was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a lot of hard work, but it was a lot of fun getting to be invited once they got to know us into people's homes, into their lives, and and still being invited in into their homes and into their lives. And so, you know, like we decided for, for Joneses, like our heartbeat of our home is to love God and love people. And so if you belong to us in any sense of the word at all, we're going to love you because we really love you. And we're going to take care of you because we really want you to be cared for because we really want you to do well. And so we did things like, well, when Jamel took command, I called all of the, the spouses um, and introduced myself introduced myself to them and invited them to a social that we had at our house and where we welcomed them and talked to them about the things that we wanted to do in the company. And that was a great first meeting because there was so much buy-in from them. And once they saw how sincere we were, and um, every few months we would have an, 
and SFRG social for the entire company. And we would tie something fun in like giveaways and competitions. And um, then the guys started getting involved in like <laughs> planning things that we were going to do there, like peep eating contest. And it was disgusting, but so much fun. <laughs> and we had monthly spouse socials where I would host or another lady in the company would host. And we had like a tea by the sea and we had a Galentine's night where I had each husband of every lady who attended write a secret letter. And then we read them aloud and guessed who they belong to. It was such a sweet night. And like, there were obviously lots of tears and like all the love tanks were completely full. <laughs> and um, I, I cannot take credit for that. I attended a social like that as a younger spouse. So thanks to Shaleen Waters for showing me how to do that. But we had like spouse game nights and ornaments exchanges and favorite things, socials. I mean, just like all kinds of things that brought the women and the families together. And when babies were born, you know, we made sure that those new mamas had meal trains, like the ladies really got behind that. And we'd feed somebody for like a week or more. When we'd give gifts to the new babies, we have walked through death with people and yeah. suicides with people and divorces with people. And there was one family a few months after Jamel took command who had their baby girl was deathly ill. Like we did not think that she was going to make it. And so we packed up one night and um, took Madeline and we went to spend then we didn't stay the night, spend the night, but we went to stay and visit with the family until the wee out, early hours of the morning um, at Duke Hospital and IHOP, just visiting with them, letting them know that like we loved them and we cared and our company really rallied behind them and, and took great care of them also. Trying to think, and by doing things like that, there were a lot of friendships that were made. Uh, because of all the the toxic environment that was in the company before, um, it was told to me that the women did not know each other. So they there there weren't friendships, and so there were a lot of friendships that were made through that through that time, and they're still friends today. And they talk about how they met during during their time in Chaos Company. <laughs> And uh, we had things like after really getting get after we started really strong and everyone started getting no get to, excuse me I'm getting tongue after mm -hmm. everyone began to get to know each other we started like showing up super strong at all the battalion and brigade events like people would be like oh that's chaos company so like for an example at the division run which is this big huge deal in Fort Bragg Jamel you want to tell a little bit about that yeah for sure quick. so um ali keeps throwing out military terms because she is regimented <laughs> up, um, right. a battalion and brigade and division the girl can army better than me I, I tell you a division is this big beast of an organization that's probably ranging in the several thousands the 82nd airborne division between 17 20 000, maybe a little bit more of paratroopers so ali references the division run and it's this huge event where every organization that's a part of the 82nd Airborne Division is conducting a run. Everybody's in formation. And, you know, so we're all in our unit apparel, T-shirts and stuff. And there's all of this, you know, planning that's gone into it. You have helicopters who are flying low over the formation as it's running. You got all the families out there with all of their unit apparel and swag and signs and air horns and everything else, kids. And then you got the, you know, maybe the the ceremonial artillery element that's shooting powder charges from these cannons, but it's just making big booms and smoke. And <laughs> the fire department posts is spraying the uh, the water hoses up in the air, making this water arch. So as you're hot and running through that area, you you got this, you know, quick little rain that that you get to cool you off a little bit. Just the most amazing thing ever. And part of the run, so you're running and you're running through, you know, the route that's that's prescribed and it's being led by the division commander who is a, a two-star general. But part of that run gets you to a, a, a place of, you know, it's kind of a, a memorial where you, it's all this rah, rah, rah cheering. And, but then you, you reach this place and it goes deathly quiet. And it's because there's boots in a field that are, mm -hmm representative of every soldier, sailor, Marine who's been lost in a global war on terror and their pictures on it. And so is their, you know, their date of birth. And so is, you know, the, their date of death. And 
there's no there's no rah 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 in that area. Guys are running through, and there there's tears. You know, there's there's praying, and and guys are just you're still running, and it's very solemn, it's very respectful, and very memorable. And then you come out of that 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 space, and then that helicopter gets back down on top of you, and that you feel that rotor wash on the blade, and now you're back energized, and you're ready to go again. So anyway, I just had to explain that to our our listeners on how one motivated I get about a division run, uh, but two, how <laughs> how different it is as an experience. But Ali is right. Our culture and our organization became so tight-knit and so good that we often became the single representatives from the battalion, again, my next up boss, where we were the only people there holding down the fort, representing, cheering the guys on. So Yeah, so at that division run, like it's in really, it's really important for SFRGs to be there to cheer the guys on as they're running past. And so, I mean, people are getting up early in the morning before school to come line the roads. And so our battalion, of course, said, hey, we're going to be out there. We'd love for your SFRGs to come and participate. And um, our company was the only company that was out there, just our group of ladies, along with our battalion SFRG advisor out there cheering on our guys. And I mean, it was just because of the culture that we'd created and we were that we wanted to support not only our guys, but our battalion. But it was because we were like, hey, we are the best company. And (laughs) we're the best company in this battalion. That means we're the best company in this brigade. We're the best company in this division. And we just had big heads about ourselves. But we also, it was just um, a friendly. For sure, it was. Friendly. And there was just lots of love. And girls just wanted to hang out and be together all the time. And. You know, Allie mentioned a lot of the, the things that the ladies and the families were able to do and some of the unique, innovative things that Allie and, and that family team created together uh, for unconventional methods. What I instilled into the company as a commander is, what, what, what's up? We tried really hard. You did well. What I tried to do as a commander was there were unconventional ways that I was to kind of govern the organization. So as a commander, you have a lot of authority to to do things you know people get in trouble right maybe a verbal reprimand Mm. to go against their behavior all the way up to the point where you can actually put them in jail and so the arm of the command is 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 very long and it has long reach and and how you use it matters Mm. and i wanted to ensure that i i did it through a lens of love and, and i tried to channel the mind of god when i was going to discipline people and govern the organization because how you do that matters and it's sometimes events that people will never, ever forget. And so, you know, there are times where I, I did have to discipline soldiers. I mean, we, to create an environment for people and their families to thrive, sometimes it takes cutting out cancers and, and getting things out of the organization so it can grow. It's almost like gardening. You got to prune sometimes to grow. And so looking at that, just because I was telling a guy, hey, man, look, you failed your urinalysis test and you know that there's a policy in the military that you cannot do drugs. I'm bound by policy to, to punish you but at the end of the day, I'm not writing you off as a human being. So that's my feelings about you aren't that you are this terrible human being and that you won't recover. God loves you, right? And then I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't something that I told, I didn't minister to them, but I showed them that love. I modeled it to them. So we talk about the feedback and the outputs of it is I've had some of those guys continue to reach out to me to this day. You know, Ali, we're still connected to those families to this day. We've walked long roads with or experienced things with them. We've shared in their hardships. We've rejoiced with them in their victories. You know, we've, we've sacrificed our own time and, and energy, and, and so have they. And so we've created a lot of friendships over time, and, and we are still connected. And what I told guys and their families was, look, our paths cross for a reason, and we will always be intersected, connected based on that. And, and this Army life isn't you know, just because a guy wears a uniform doesn't mean he's a robot. These are people. They have feelings and they have families and, and it's important. You ask, hey, so how did it go? It went way better than what we thought it was going to go. We <laughs> did not have a goal of being the number one company. We just wanted to be an effective organization, again, for people and their families to thrive. We ended up being probably the worst company, as already stated to being the number one company in the 82nd Airborne Division. So that's a probably about 273 companies in that division, thousands and thousands of soldiers. Somehow, 
Okos Company 1505 became the number one company in the division to a point where we had the division commander say he see we have the most dynamic company level FRG or SFRG that he's ever seen. And so that's a God thing. If that's yeah. not your goal, you impact people, impacted people and the organization has thrived like that. I mean, what an amazing thing. We had we went 10 months in an infantry company with no discipline related issues. For our listeners, the demographics of an infantry company are like 18 years old, primarily so like 25. Like I was the old guy as a 30 year old commander, but. And they went into deployment like that. Yeah. So even before deployment, they yeah. kept their head on straight. And We wanted the best mission. We wanted the team set. Right. We wanted people. I mean, we created a family together as, as the guys going into this uncertain environment of war. Right. But then we wanted our families to be yoked together and and solid tight-knit before we left it was a very cool unique experience yeah and they the guys i have to say i'm proud of them still like um right before deployment they they won the gavin cup yeah the, the gavin cup is the number one company in the yeah. division so so like and they really were the number one okay so this isn't a brag this is not a brag on jamel and ali at all this is me bragging on the team those guys you compete for the gavin cup we weren't even trying to compete and we won, but then there's other things that we were doing that I guess across all metrics, we there were three events. There was the maintenance uh, competition, I guess, it's called the Ridgeway Award. There's another one called the Iron Muck Award, was the most physically fit company. And then there was the Gavin Cup company, which is the, the number one company in division. We could only compete for one, which that was the Gavin Cup because of our stats, but even for the people who won the other awards, our stats were still better than theirs in those areas. So what, what we were told was you can't compete for all three, but if you were able to, you'd have won all three. Oh, wow. I was like, that is amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> so anyway, kudos to those guys, H minus. Yeah. And I know this, our, our answer to this is getting really lengthy. So I'll try to say this really quick. I think, you know, we talked about what are the unconventional things that you did. Some unconventional ideas are just really not that unconventional. It's just that you do them that seems unconventional because sure. because people don't so we tried to really connect with people and remember them so like if someone called me and or emailed me and had a question i tried to get back with them as soon as i could with information or extra information anything that i thought was important for me to know to plan the life of my family like i if i thought it was important for me it was important for them we wanted to check in on them randomly and just say, hey, how are you doing? How did that situation turn out? We stopped 50 cent corn dog day at Sonic. Like, hey, you know, we're going to drop off 100 corn dogs to the unit. And Jamel had an open door policy, even for the families. Like if there was something going on and you have concerns, like he wanted to know, you can come talk to me. I'm your husband's boss, but I care about you. I care about you guys. I'm not here just to lead you. I want to serve you. I'm working along with you. And it wasn't just us, like there was great leadership. Jamel's first sergeant, Thomas Sizer, was just phenomenal. His wife was great. It's amazing to see like what love and care can do to a group of people who have not felt that in a long time. And this wasn't just us. I, we cannot like take the credit here. Like this was modeled for us at our first duty station at Fort Campbell by Colonel Greg Bedoin and his wife, Allison. They showed us what ministry, you know, really what that means is just seeing the needs of others and caring for them, what that could look like in the military. And so when we saw that, we were like, if we ever get a chance to lead and serve, like this is what we're going to do. And it's been over a year since Jamel left that position. And we are still in contact with some of those families and soldiers. They ask us to pray for them. When they're going through hard things, they've shared their joys with us, like new babies before they tell anybody else. Like they're truly our friends. And, you know, I don't know that we ever had anyone come to church with us. Well, I can tell you we never did, but that wasn't the goal. The goal was for them to know that we loved them and we cared for them and that we wanted to walk through life with them. And the blessing is knowing that they knew that and that they still know that they're just they're always going to be a part of us. If you can't tell, we really love chaos. <laughs> <laughs> well, that point that you just made at the end, Allie, is is really, really important because I think there are a lot of times in the church that we get a single-minded focus of, if you can't tell me how many Bible studies you taught or how many people you baptized in Jesus' name, then it wasn't a success as a ministry endeavor. But what I'm hearing you say is that you built a community on the basics of what a church should be. 
you loved people, you showed up for people, and people started to show up for one another. You treated people the way you would want to be treated. You connected with them and you put in the hard work and you had the fun and you established a relationship to where you have influence in those people's lives. And I think that so often we measure our success or our failure by a metric that just isn't accurate when really what God is asking us to do is just love people and let him take care of the rest of it. And that sounds like that's what you guys did. And it sounds like it made a huge impact. When we do things God's way, there's success. That's just the way it works. True. It's true. I mean, what's the greatest commandment, you know? Yep. And then the second is. Love your neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, and it is such a joy and a huge dose of oxytocin when you just, when you're doing it with God in mind and you, you see the return on the investment and you know that all glory does go to God, his people watching them thrive or watching them you know, be better and watching them be better together and better for each other. That is amazing. It's not, there's not a metric that we were looking for to quantify what we did, but the experience of being able to feel it, live it every single day and be in that, that sort of environment and such a unique position. I mean, the joy of being able to see that was awesome. So yeah, I mean, what a, what Ali said was a very cool way to close it out. And then the things that you highlighted, I, absolutely get excited about every opportunity to try to do something like this. So we could talk for days about it. Okay. So you guys have been all over the country, as you mentioned earlier. And so you've had the chance to be a part of many different church bodies at the different posts where you've lived. So I would like to know a little bit about your experience there and what churches can do to support military families, but also just to support people who are in all different careers that are approaching them as a ministry that doesn't fit into what we normally consider ministry in the church. Okay. Yeah. So we'll talk about it from, I guess, most a military point of view, but I do think that this could work with any sect of job that somebody might have that a church would like to get involved in. If you're a church in a military town, just get involved. It takes money to run SFRGs family readiness groups and the money does not come from the army it comes (laughs) from the pockets of those families in that unit and fundraising so for me it would have been great if a church would have said hey i know you guys have some type of meetings right like can we take care of meals for that or can we bring a speaker in for that or can i just sponsor a fun day for your unit and just bring pizza for your single soldiers and, you know, just have their presence known that way. You, you can't really do any real evangelism, but they can just see you there. If your church has daycare facilities, so many times, especially during deployments, families need drop-off services. So if that's something that you can offer for free, like even if it's just a couple hours a week to a certain amount of families, that would be such a blessing to people that need childcare. Because also, again, remember, they might not have friends or family in the area that they know. Right. And so your child in a place where you you feel that they're safe is very important. And a lot of army families, military families are young and with not a lot of income and you do not get paid a lot of money to defend your your country. (laughs) So sad, but so true. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of times they really do struggle financially. And so if you can bless with like a food pantry um, or, you know, a diaper showers for young families, that is a very real way to bless them. And um, if there's a church that wants to support in that kind of way, let us know. Like we can get you into to the exact right person wherever you are. I promise you, we can, we can help Absolutely. you with that. I've heard it said one time, I was involved with a church that said that they were not going to try to touch the military community there because the people and families would come to the church and then they were just going to move away. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was just such a sad way to look at that because when you have military families come in, yes, you know that they're going to come in and they're going to leave, but you get to influence them for the time that they are there. And what better way to make disciples and fulfill the Great Commission than with military families? And so if you are a church in that area, love them, take care of them, but know that what you do, your fingerprint are going to go into all of the world because that's where we go. I think it's also important just to note, and I think this will probably be my final comment here, but people do matter. And I say that, and I, 
I want to emphasize that for our listeners. We all come from a ragtag group of, you know, families and communities, and we don't all look alike, and we don't all have the same schemas and values, but people matter. And it doesn't matter if they believe like you. It doesn't matter if they look like you. They are God's people. And families matter. And, you know, when when you think about the, the first institution that God ordained was that marriage relationship, that was a family. That was in the beginning. And so who are we to not invest in people and families? And the way we look at it, and the reason why we're probably so, so passionate about this is not only because of the love of God, but you see the true impact of investing in people. When you, when you impact people, especially the military community, tied to, you know, strong soldiers are strong families. So you need to impact the family. A strong soldier who has a strong family has a very strong unit. It starts with people and it starts with families. And we, the church, the body of Christ, can do that. Whether that person is married or they're just a single soldier in the area just for a small period of time, invest, plug in, love on them, and show them who God is. Let us be the hands and the feet of Jesus to everyone that we come in contact with and watch God do the rest. And he really will show you his glory through your investment in people. I really love that. I appreciate so much you guys coming on and talking about these things because I think it's so important. There are so many people who don't have any experience specifically with the military. And so I think this is going to be eye-opening for them in a lot of ways. And then so much of what you said, it applies to what you've been doing, but it just applies in general as Christians, doing whatever we find to do with all of our might for the glory of God, impacting people. It's all part of what we're called to do as Christians. And I just, I really love it. And I admire how you guys embody it. So we're going to jump to the very last question, which is the same thing that we do on every show. Because the podcast is called Good Question, I want to know what's a good question you guys are asking lately. I have a very good question. (laughs) Yes, I'm ready. (laughs) Why do people say, I just want to sleep like a baby? Hey, that's (laughs) a very good question. (laughs) Um, my baby doesn't sleep (laughs) and listeners you hear the delirious laughter of parents who (laughs) i really want to just sleep like a teenager and so i think the phrase should be changed but yes that's my question there you go that's a good one if you find an answer you surely pass it on to me please and jamel did you have an answer to that question or was that one just uh that might be the wrap up right there. That, I think Allie just, she basically just dropped the mic. I, I don't have anything to come against that. So. <laughs> that is, that is really good. All right. Well, thank you guys again. I really appreciate it. It's been great chatting with you and I can't wait until the Lord lets our paths cross in person again. Oh, well, we can't wait either. Thank you for the opportunity, Jessica. Thanks we so love much. you guys very much. Wow, you guys, I don't know about you, but I walked away from that conversation challenged to look at my own life to see where I can implement some unconventional ministry methods. I loved Allie's reminder that a personal touch like a phone call or an invitation can have a massive impact. I also really loved the Jones family's goal as they took on the huge endeavor of commanding an army infantry company. To leave it better than they found it, and to create an environment for people and families to thrive. I think those two things would serve anyone well who is in a leadership role, whether that's your career, your church, or your own family. Since we recorded, I can't stop thinking about how, as Christians, often we walk away from a job placement or our college campus and think, well, that was a bust. No one came to church with me. I didn't teach any Bible studies. I failed. And while our ultimate mission is to go into all the world and make disciples, I'm reminded of Paul's analogy in 1 Corinthians 3, that one plants the seed, one waters, but it's God who gives the increase. I hope that the Apostle Paul wouldn't mind my taking his analogy one step farther. Before a seed can be planted, the soil has to be tilled. And sometimes the way that we get the rocks and boulders of past hurt and distrust of God or his church out of the soil of a heart is through them having loving contact with a child of God who lives out the commands to love God and love people 
without expecting anything in return. So don't discount the impact you're having on the people around you just by being you, a called out, loving, caring light for Jesus. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Good Question. You can follow the show on Instagram at Good Question Show, and you can follow me at Jessica Tanderup. That's Jessica T, as in Tuesday, A-N-D-E-R-U-P. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this show or ideas you have for future episodes. And if you'd like more information from the Jones family about how your church can help the military community in your area, be sure to reach out. We can get you in contact with them. If you liked what you heard today, will you share this episode on social media or text it to a friend? We'd also love if you'd leave us a rating and a review and make sure that you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. We'll be back here next week with another good question. See you then.